Larry goes, oh, I was just warming up. Boom! He, he drops the six-inch punch in there. This guy flies back. I'm flabbergasted. The guy hits the stove, falls down, sits there. The chopping block was split in half. Hi, this is Mick Tully, and you're listening to Mixed Martial Arts. Right now, I'm hanging out with a dear friend of mine, a guy I read about years ago when you were on the road back in the day, right? Uh, and what we're going to do is we're just going to go now and just go. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, I give you the one and only criminally unknown Peter Hetrick, and he's not in here. Peter, thanks for coming on the show, my friend. Mick, thanks for having me. I really appreciate this. No, no, yeah, right. I'm the I'm the guy. Anybody who knows anything about martial arts in the UK should know who Peter Hetrick is, because what year did you first come over to the UK? I first came over in 1989 on uh, Sifu Hartzell's uh, uh, Fall UK tour. Yeah. As the fall guy, um, that went well. Uh, came back again in 90 and also 91. So I had three outstanding opportunities to meet the best of the best of the UK world and in some cases the world period um, under one of the great legends of JKD and Kali, Sifu Larry Hartzell. Well, you see, this is it. I, the, the, the cool thing is, I was at Steve Powell's gym, and I, I, did you see the picture I sent you? I sent a picture of, there was, there's pictures on the walls of, of George Larson, and then there's pictures of you, and when you, you're on the road and you're assisting, right? So I actually got those, and I sent them over via Facebook, because I, I was literally working around the corner, and I went in. And you came over when, yeah, mixed martial arts... We've, we've always mixed martial arts in, in, in Jeet Kune Do, right? Absolutely. But MMA didn't exist. What, what was it like the first time you walked into the UK and these guys took a... I'm going to rephrase this. The first time you saw Sifu Larry Hartzell, what did you think? Besides, wow. <laughs> no, what was... Um, yeah, I mean, who hasn't said that? What was so refreshing about uh, uh, Sifu Hartzell is, you know, there's a lot of guys that do the arts and they do the arts very well. There's who, who's ever been on the receiving end of any of Sifu Hartzell's uh, training and techniques knows there's something different there, and that can, in my estimation, can only be equated to he's done it. If he's showing you something, nine times out of ten, he's done it, he's used it. He said, well, this helped me one time in this, or this is something I did in this instance. So he brought that, you know, people always ask, does this work? course that always depends on context and the operator involved but with uh, Sifu Hartzell there is a feeling everything he did and this is one of my observations I still use to this day I teach a lot of law enforcement and security personnel and bodyguards there's a little different look to how Sifu Hartzell did his stuff right. and that look can only be gained by having been in a case where you've had to do it it wasn't in a training environment there weren't referees it's it had to be done. And it could be something as simple as where he places his head when he's doing a, an escort hold or, or a lock or a control hold. It's, you just, he was always ready. Yeah. Whatever position he was in, he was ready for that next shot that you knew was coming in. Well, you see, this is the thing. It's like one of the, one of my missions, especially just doing the podcast and doing the martial arts stuff in general is there's certain guys that just need to be thrown into the spotlight like you're one of them Thank right you. and then there's guys that sadly are no no longer here 
And I'm not a big fan of any of this revisionist history nonsense, you know, where either downplaying somebody's impact or in some case people upplaying their in their impact, right? Uh, and we can leave that one there. But, um, you know, Sifu Hartzell, man, he was something else. And a combination of, yeah, having great training partners and great teachers. Yeah, this is a guy, he was a Vietnam War veteran. I don't know an awful lot about combat because all I do is I, yeah, I, I teach martial arts and tell dirty jokes. That's what I do. And, that, <laughs> and I know that's, and I know that that's my role. And I, trust me, I am good with that. And you're good at that. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, 47 years of talking shit will get you uh, fluent in this, right? Yeah. But Sifu Hartzell lived, like, the, war is like the ultimate combat zone. Gotta be, right? And he was like one of the most softly spoken men you'll ever wish to meet. And one of the most gentle men when he needed to be. And then like the complete opposite when he needed to be. Uh, so how old were you when you, you when you bumped into him? Uh, I first met Sifu Hartzell in 1986, uh, either at the Great Smoky Mountain uh, right. camp in North Carolina, two weeks with the best of the best. Um, and then concurrently with that in Michigan, when the... Dan Timlin's Mid-Michigan Martial Arts Academy was doing that same concept of hosting you know, Guru Dan, Larry Hartzell, Paul Detours, Master Chai, uh, Salem Asli from Savat, and just all these big JKD Kali legends and other systems, you know, Thai boxing, Penchak Silat, that you'd hear about and read about, and then you get to go to the source and yeah. spend one week or two weeks with just them. I mean... It was amazing, you know, which that led to my uh, involvement of starting the same concept with the Wisconsin camps. And, uh, well, you know, we, we you, can talk about no, that no, more no, later. No, but, no, uh, you, you, you've, hit, you've hit on something here because the reason I actually met Rick Fay was I came over to do the Wisconsin camp, and you weren't there the first year, and I think Derek Hagland. That would have been 2006, right? 2006. That was my get divorced year and move a thousand miles away from all my family and friends for work uh, to move from Wisconsin to Texas. So, yeah, I missed one. I felt bad about that. Yeah, you did. I ruined Uh, my track record. Well, one of the the things things that you actually first taught me was how to fold up a T-shirt. You know, you know that trick that you have where you get picked up the corners. <laughs> Do you remember? You showed me the that three-second T-shirt fold or yeah, something like you that. Yeah, wow, and I was like, "Wow, man, that's like magic." Boy, and I'm glad went, I had such a lasting impression on you based on folding a T-shirt. Yeah, but you, it, was, it, it wasn't the way that you folded the T-shirt. It was the way you turned around and said, "This is what you get when you get effing divorced. You have to learn <laughs> these skills." Right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably. But, yeah. but Pete, that you know that again, that Wisconsin was just something else. How did you know? First of all, that was a Christian camp for 51 weeks of the year that didn't have any beer in it. And then for one week, it was like, it went from being like heaven to Sodom and Gomorrah. Or, you know, it wasn't that bad, but... Caligula? No way. Yeah, no, that's no, yeah. But, no. but the thing is, it's like, me, I, I, I've said this, myself and Ty Campos used to always say this, that uh, we didn't know what heaven looked like, but we were convinced it was something like like, like Owen, you know? Agreed, and... Um, if I can touch on that a bit, the um, you know my involvement with that um, just real briefly was I'm flipping through the pages of Black Belt magazine. You know this was before the internet, which some listeners may not wow. comprehend that time. And I saw this camp. It, it, it was a children's martial arts camp offered at a world-renowned gymnastics camp. Yes. 
and I'm seeing, you know, there's going to be karate, there's going to be point fighting, there's going to be Kali, there's going to be Jeet Kune Do. And I'm thinking, Wisconsin, well, I, no one's really doing it up there, you know, prior to me bringing these guys in. I don't want to be modest, but, or, you know, blow my own horn, but that stuff wasn't in Wisconsin. I, I selfishly wanted it for myself, so I thought... I got a great idea. Let's put all my savings account into bringing all these instructors together <laughs> so that I could learn, but so that other people could see what this whole um, up-and-coming phenomenon was. I won't yes. even say fad or craze because it's definitely not a fad. It's, this is the best of the best in this field. But anyway, so I contacted the owner of the camp, wonderful man. I asked him, I said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm interested in your martial arts program for kids, just wondering who's teaching the Kali and JKD. I, I have a bit of a background in that. He goes, well, funny thing is, is we don't have anyone. We have the karate, we have this, the point sparring, we have the kickboxing, but we don't have hands on a Kali JKD person. So a brief phone conversation, and I basically got the job. Wow. And uh, later found out um, that I was like the only person he ever hired without a face-to-face -face interview. Wow. So I was blessed. I was lucky. That led to getting the in with the camp itself. And then when we needed a venue for our martial arts, Kali JKD programs, I mean, it was beautiful. You, oh, you've my. been there. You, again, you know, they say Wisconsin is God's country. It sure is. But back to your uh, initial comment about we could drink there. Now, again, 51 weeks, a Christian camp, kids, young gymnasts. And then a bunch of us rogues and ruffians come into town. <laughs> and I really think the only reason they w gave us that exemption was because of who we are. You know, yeah. we're not a bunch of ass kickers. Uh, let me rephrase that. We don't put ourselves out there as a bunch of ass kickers. We're a bunch of genuine people that love the arts, love the positive growth. If we have to do it, we can do it. But that's not our main focus. We're decent people. We love the arts. We share it. We love seeing people's personal growth. And I think that really struck a chord with the ownership. They're like, okay, we know you're all adults. We've never done this before. Just keep the alcohol in a little secluded area. Keep it low profile. Pick up after yourselves and don't get the cops called. Well, okay, we realized what a break that was for us to be able to actually imbibe after training. Yeah. They said that place was spotless. We never knew you guys were there doing anything. Yeah. You helped out, and, and that's just us. You know, it's the family. We want to leave a positive impression on every aspect of everything we touch and everything yeah, we if you mind, what were they, Give the name checks of the uh, the couple. What were their names again? I can't remember. Uh, Tom and Linda Jones. That was it. Because Fantastic, yeah, fantastic to, people. They, they, they actually freaked out. Uh, I think it was like maybe the third or fourth year that I went in. Because they they couldn't but they couldn't believe they couldn't oh I think Guru Dan's coming they couldn't actually believe that I would come in and say thank you to them and they were like who's this British guy do you know what we're gonna have to pick this up again by the magic of radio we're gonna have to get because we'll go we'll we'll go in because I, I don't know if Guru's starting yet but are you okay to pick this up later Pete you know Mick like for you for the listeners I will do anything. Right, so right. before we were so rudely interrupted by having to go and train with the world's greatest martial artist. What a pain. Yeah. Well, uh, oh yeah, life is hard at the top, right? So we'd mentioned Sifu Larry Hartzell and we'd mentioned, you know, his impact on you and the fact that he had a 
just he carried himself with an air of somebody that had just lived that life, right? And Absolutely. Had that? Did that appeal to you? You know, or what? What? What was it that appealed to you more? I think what it was was, uh, you know, a combination of many things. I mean, obviously, part of the whole Bruce Lee legend was definitely a factor. Um, you know, and the fact that Sifu Larry was just such a genuinely nice, caring person. Um, you know, he saw something in me that, uh, you know, to take me under his wing, so to speak, uh, to have the opportunity to travel, you know, to meet all the fine people in the UK and Germany and Finland and other places like that. It, it, it's just, you know, kind of a fatherly figure. Um, and, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, this is, this is one of the guys, you know, I mean, there's not a whole lot of that generation left, um, you know, so just to uh, be a part of that, I feel I was very blessed and very fortunate. Yeah. And, uh, you know, nothing but great times. Um, some a, interesting times. Yeah, a, a legitimate hero. Well, a, a legitimate hero. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to ask you because we've, you know, in previous podcasts, we've mentioned stories about Sifu Larry. And I'm a, as I said, one of the things I've said before with Chris Harley and Tim Betcher and yourself is just keeping the, the legacy alive and, you know, so that people understand what this guy was all about, you know? And there's been some really humorous stories, like Rick Fay, where he was carrying the duffel that he had over from <laughs> Vietnam, right? Ah, uh, yeah, I've <laughs> done that a few times. Yeah, and did you realize there was weights in them? Uh, yeah, because I saw him put him in. I had been forewarned uh, by Rick, so, you know, it was, uh, I got my workout in. Yeah, that was, that was the thing. It's... You know, it, it, it wasn't that we had a busy enough schedule, and then it's like, all right, let's go to the gym. Oh, okay. Cool. Wow. So, yeah, my... what, what's, your, what's your favorite on the road, Larry Hartzell story? Oh, my favorite? Ah, uh, gosh. You know, one that pops into mind was uh, we were trying to get out of Germany. Uh, not trying to get out, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, wait, wait, what year was this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, uh, well, you know, being over there in 1989 when the wall came down, that was interesting. I don't want to get into politics. That yeah. was just interesting, um, especially staying with the German host. But Sifu um, Larry and I were uh, in the airport, you know, and, and I'm, he always carried the tickets. So I'm like, okay, what time is your flight? He's like, 6 o'clock. Great. You know, so we get to the airport about 4.30 in the afternoon, 5.30. We start going to our gate. We get there. There's nobody there. There's one, you know. Uh, flight person desk guy and he kind of takes the tickets from us and he's like this was 6 a.m. it says 0600 that's 6 in the morning oh. it is now almost 1800 okay I look at each other it's like oh okay um you know I guess traveling with some of those in the military didn't realize overseas you know internationally they're on 24-hour time so that was a funny one you know I mean it just you know all the other funny stories that the, there's just too many of them um, the, the, I might one of the ones I like was one that Rick said that when he was training he was training and when it was time to not train he liked to kick back and uh, if you asked him a question about martial arts and he said some guy in England I don't know if you know this one asked about the one inch punch and they got a telephone book because they didn't have a focus mitt so this guy held the telephone book on his chest and Sifu Larry dropped the one inch pin punch on him and it was basically nobody else will ask about the one inch punch ever again because I think he, he tore a hole into the guy through the phone book so it was unbelievable yeah the uh just real quick, the best uh, um, uh, six-inch punch, three-inch, one-inch, you know, what's a couple inches among friends, right? But uh, <laughs> was in um, at the Michigan camp, and um, a guy asked him about it, and we were staying in these little cabins, you know, a bunch of us are on, 
and the only thing we could find to protect this guy's chest was this little eight by eight inch square probably one and a half inch thick you know over the years it'll be a 10 inch thick chopping block but yes. it was a chopping block a freaking chopping block right yeah you know particle board compressed little squares all that stuff guy holds it on his chest see Larry says okay pete make sure this guy doesn't you know hurt himself okay whap he whaps him the guy staggers back it's all good with like oh wow cool larry goes no, i was just warming up boom he, he drops the six inch punch in there this guy flies back i'm flabbergasted the guy hits the stove falls down sits there the chopping block was split in half wow and again you know no no bs happened right in front of my eyes with god as my witness that was the most incredible thing i'd ever seen physically out of Sifu Hartzell. Just that split-second explosion of sheer, raw, focused power. Just badassery. Yeah, I, yeah badassery. That's a word, that, right? That, I think Shakespeare uh, invented it. Yeah, I think he did. I think he, he did. He was British, right? Yeah. Uh, well, we don't, they don't even know if he was real anymore. And he lives. He, he lived around the corner from me. So <laughs> we're going to jump a little bit because I, what I want, what I want to really get you on is your training first of all by the way if you hope you don't mind saying when i first when i first met you i was blown away away at how fluid you were oh thank you, you know the, the, yeah you. with the carly and then yesterday me and you got to work out yesterday and do some samurada and again you were awesome i was i sucked i was brutal but i then start to find out you know who you've trained and who you've helped put programs together for uh so first of all how did you go from doing martial arts to like you know the sharp end the sharp end of the spear you know how, how did you get into that okay um well actually it was 1984 um you know right out of high school um got in involved with our county sheriff department um so i was in the sheriff department for about seven years um it was a reserve unit um, but we still did everything worked in the jail had a lot of time working in a jail yes. working you know working the road with other deputies um, and uh, got so that gave me that background. Um, then I branched off into the private security sector, where I've been for the past you know 20, 25 years. Um, I had a lot of opportunity to train the security forces, well, not forces, that's a bad word, the security staff at outdoor big concert venue theaters. Right. So we had no weapons, no handcuffs, no nothing. Uh, just our charm and our wit and a bit of control and restraint that didn't work right. you need a lot of control and, and, and yeah. restraint so I, I gravitated toward the control and compliance you know different from the MMA body control because the last place you wanted to be in a crowd of 40,000 people was you know in a cross body position or in a kesagatami with someone right so we had to have a stable platform you know your small joint compliance something that would hold the hold the guys until the real cops came and did their work um, so that was that. Um, thanks to Diana Rathborn of the Minnesota Collie Group, got involved in teaching at a, uh, a probably the biggest worldwide law enforcement trainers conference. Every right. year the organization is called ILITA, um, International Law Enforcement and Educators Training Association. Uh, but every year it's held in the Chicago area, um, and that's generally you know 700 plus law enforcement trainers. Wow! I was fortunate enough, blessed enough again to get the opportunity to put in a submission for a class uh, it was accepted so for about the past nine or ten years I've worked with that organization and other police conferences teaching generally either edge weapons um, control and restraints you know close quarters hitting and fighting skills because again I don't like to be on the ground no it's my weak area but especially for law enforcement is you can't have in my opinion you can't have your first strategy to be get to the ground no 
No, you know, yeah, I, you know, I love jujitsu and I love the sport, but uh, you know, and I have, yeah, I, yeah, nobody, nobody, in my, trust me, nobody in my gym. Uh, if they, if they just do jujitsu, my BJJ coach is brutal. He's like ex ex world karate champion, it's legitimate badass, and he's like, no, jujitsu is one part of the puzzle. And he goes, and it's great, and we're like, we're the most successful academy in Europe. But it's like he said, you're not going to be a fighter, fighter, but the skills that you learn and the resilience and stuff that you learn from the jiu-jitsu will help and Absolutely. it's better than better than nothing but you know the stand-up game in Carly and for the close quarter stuff second to none you know it even looks good you know Jason Bourne does it you know it yeah even, Matt Damon yeah. can make it look good in your yeah place. Jesus Matt Damon yeah you know it's uh, <laughs> uh strike that <laughs> no hey come <laughs> no, on no. You, you actually you actually mentioned something in your presentation and you mentioned Matt Damon and you were like, it was t- taking the level of the training because you mentioned the Keanu Reeves clip that's on YouTube at the moment. It's just awesome, right? But that, goes to, but that goes to prove that it is a learned skill. Anybody can do this, right? But you, it, you, like, it might be a little bit more difficult for some people who don't want to fight fight. That's that's the thing, right? Right, and, and part of it is, um, and I've just started to get in, involved with uh, some acting groups um, just local groups, although they've they've had some national TV shows. Uh, ah. Bailout is one of them. I'm throwing in some shameless plugs here. Go um, for it. Another one was called Harley and the Davidsons, uh, which was on. Uh, yeah. Well, that's there's an, an acting academy close by to me that has said yes. We love your background. We love what you do. We want to get you in here and start working with these people on a regular basis. That, so, yeah, that's cool. That fingers is. are crossed. I'm praying that uh, that comes through. Oh man, I hope that works out for you. I, I do too. I mean, that would just be fantastic, you know, but owing it all to where does it start? You know, Guru Dan Inasano and the Kali JKD approach. Um, and some people learn it for the screen, just like they're memorizing their lines. Yep. Other actors, it's like, if you want to portray a fighter, you at least need to go through the training as a fighter. If you go through it as an actor, there's just that little element missing, kind of the same thing, tying this all in, going back to Sifu Hartzell. You know, yeah. there's, there's those that are phenomenal trainers and instructors and those that have done it. You know, yeah. So it's kind of like the acting crew, um, you know, and, and from the feedback we've heard, Keanu Reeves was one of those examples of the, of the person that totally immersed themselves into it. Yeah. They wanted it full bore. And that's yeah. you know just a different level. Yeah, but the, you know he's training at the moment with Hegan Machado, you know, and, and that, David Leach. Don't forget oh, about David man. Leach, man. You know, yeah, Minnesota Collie Group, nineteen eighties. You know that, yeah. eh? Yes. Did you did you get did you get many opportunities to work out with Dave? I did, and he was just a fantastic, good-looking young kid back then. Now he's a couple decades older, and. Uh, Making a name for himself in Hollywood with a director, his, producer. I, yeah, I mean that was so fantastic, you know. It, and, and again, that's part of the Kali group, Dan and Asano legacy, right there. But you the, know, yeah, it, it's crazy. I, you know, I have it when people. Yeah, I teach seminars, and Pete, you, you know, dude, we've known each other nearly a decade now, and it's like, you know, what my niche is. My niche is not. I like normal people, and that's it. And, but it's the truth. I do. And you know, there's a lot of weird people in martial arts. So what I do is I try and get a bit of normality into them, and uh, and then I try to get a bit more geekiness into me. And I'm I'm still very geeky as it is, but we are onto something huge just in martial arts in general, especially in today's in today's uh, current political climate, which is what I'm going to get you on because. Yeah, we could talk about firearm training. We could talk about some of the guys, groups that you've you've worked with, right? But the legitimate threat now, especially especially in the US, yeah, it's like 
Rick Fay won't mind me saying this, but he's he's been saying this for years. He said, what will happen is one day it will be Midwest America. Mm-hmm. It won't be New York and it won't be LA because if you if you hear it, uh, you know, I don't want to make light of this, but if you're a terrorist, your fucking business is terror. And you know that, you know, if you live in Iowa, what goes on in New York won't really affect you. Exactly. And then next thing you know, it's like, you know, this, this thing that went down in St. Cloud, right? Uh, and that that was literally, yeah, that's a guy with a machete hacking people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what do we learn in Cali? You know, it's like, yeah. that, that's the thing. What, where do you see where do you see this all going? Do you think that people need to do more training to become more aware? Or, yeah, you know, I don't want it to go down, because me, this is the, the political one is where me and you sit down and have a few beers and we don't take this. That's right. Yeah? Well, it's, you know, one, one of the things I was um, fortunate enough to be able to speak to a board of uh, school superintendents in Texas, where, you know, firearms are not a stranger. Uh, <laughs> Texas embraces the firearm culture. But one of the points I brought across to the school superintendents and the teachers is, look, we're so focused on active shooter, active shooter. Should teachers carry guns? Will teachers be able to pull the trigger on a 16-year-old that walks in there with an AK-47 or an AR-15? My take was we have to think active threat. You know, there are examples of, as you just mentioned, the machete attacks, the school kid that pulled out two knives and hacked up 21 people. Thankfully, no one was killed. The train station attacks, the subway attacks that involve edged weapons. The, uh, over in, I believe it was Shanghai, I'm not sure, Google it, I don't know. Yes. But of, of, of terrorists going into daycare centers, pouring gasoline in a room of kids and throwing a match. You know, so it's... It's, there's active threats, and any level of awareness to deal with that, you know, is kind of my take now as I'm working with schools and businesses on their safety programs is active threat. It's not always going to be a shooter. And then again, it's what level are you ready to go if you've got the firearm and somebody walks in with a pail of gas and a lighter? Well, they can cause deadly force. You should do what you got to do. But yes. yet people will hesitate because, well, he doesn't have a gun or he hasn't hurt anyone yet. That's your moral and ethic code that you have to come to terms with. Um, and I think it's our job as martial artists in this day and age. We're the modern gladiators. We're the modern protectors. You know, God bless the military and the law enforcement. But it comes down to yep. the people like you and I that we're going to be that person in the crowd that when the sh- stuff hits the fan, we're going toward it. But this, we're this, going to be looking off But this people. is it. John Kent, our mutual friend, John Kent. Yeah, great uh, guy. Yeah, who's been on the show, guys. You know you know who I'm talking about. John Kent, we went out last night and we were going for a drink and the gun was in the, gun was in the trunk of his car and he picked up his shillelagh and he said, well, I'll, I'll still carry a stick. And I was like, really? And he went, I'm telling you. He goes... What, uh, I think Greg Nelson put that thing on recently where there was not one police officer there was two off-duty police officers he put it on Facebook mm-hmm. he goes why were these guys not firing back why did these guys not you know fire and it is the truth it's like yeah, especially with martial arts I love all of the kumbaya part of it all you know the world's a beautiful place the world is a beautiful place when I'm surrounded by all my friends but unfortunately, there's like seven and a half billion people out there that, you know, I'm, some of them I'm not too keen on. And they're not too keen on me either. Uh, people don't realize that you're going to have to make a stand, right? Absolutely. So Absolutely. What, 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 where do you see your future going? I'm, I'm starting to get some more ins and some more avenues um, in the state of 
Texas, for example, um, all bodyguards have to go through a state-approved course. Um, I'm partnered up with a training center um, where every month I train people for their bodyguard licenses. Um, I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of people from the Gavin DeBecker group. Yeah, ma'am, um, protecting the gift. You know, and yeah. we're going to uh, leave it at that, um, but they needed to get their certifications because, of course, they're by the book. All yes. The they wanted to operate in Texas. Again, another blessing and opportunity just to meet these guys and hear their take on it, get some of their training variations and options. And also it's kind of nice because being able to use some of the methods from this system and art and this MKG, this college AKD that we love, is having them see some things and go, hey, that's pretty cool. We can use that. Yeah. You know, so it's that, uh, getting more into the law enforcement training, which I still do regularly, um, getting in with actors, doing more stuff with teachers and schools. You know, we got to look out for the children, you know, and uh, that's, you know, it's uh, finding these nit, niche, niche, I never get that niche. word. I'm not French, niche. man. Niche. <laughs> some, niche. Quiche, some quiche marketing, you know, is <laughs> there's a lot of groups that need our stuff. Um, a lot of them know they need something. Yes. You know, so we just got to make the connection. And, uh, you know, I, I, I love what I do. It's not always about the money. Sure, if you gave me a lot of money, that'd be great. But, uh. You know, let's just get this information, get this training, get this thing that has made us who and what we are into other people's hands. Yeah, and share it. Yeah, you see, this is the thing. We have something wonderful and we need to share it, you know, and that is the truth. Pete, the last thing I'm going to say is, dude, you have to come back over to the UK sometime. You know, um, th there are so many great people over there and great instructors. Um, I would love the chance to just maybe be able to share some of these ideas that I've focused on over the years. Again, you guys have a wealth of resources. You can fit me in. I'll, at least I'll tell some funny stories and get people laughing. Dude, you know, but you're, I, a, you're a legend. You're I, a legend. I appreciate legend. it. Hey man, thank you so much Thanks. for your time, Pete. Hey, thank you. Thank, thank you, man. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. You can listen to more shows like this on MixedMartialArts.com. Mixed Martial Arts is an abrupt audio production. Today's show was produced by Luke Berry. Hey man, that was good, wasn't it? Not, not one mention of Dr. Hilly. Aww.